You're listening to audio from The House, located in Kelowna, B.C. If you'd like to check out more resources, please visit us at thehouseonline.ca. Good morning, everybody. Thank you for, uh, for sharing your morning with us. So um, my talk is pretty simple this morning. It's not terribly profound. Um, I want to begin, I want to begin uh, with a passage that Chad... Uh, uh, preached on two weeks ago, and, and, and he did a really, really great talk from this passage. I'm going to start there and then move to, to my subject matter. In, in, in the book of Luke, the Gospel of Luke, chapter 8, uh, verse 40, this, we, we're introduced to this remarkable woman. Um, uh, her life is full of pain, challenges, and some amazing, amazing victories. She has a, a, a chronic illness. She has a disorder which has given her a permanent menstrual period for the space of 12 years. 12 years. Um, the disorder, the illness created all kinds of problems for this poor woman. I mean, uh, scholars, uh, commentators, uh, suggests that it's very likely that her husband abandoned her because of the illness. In, 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 in the first century in the Jewish culture, a man could divorce his wife for bad breath if he wanted to. Um, and so, and so the, she, she was barren. Uh, she was ritually, ritually unclean. She was banished from society. She wasn't allowed to go out in public. She couldn't go to the mall. She couldn't actually be anywhere where there are in public because she was considered to be unclean. She was barred from the synagogue. She couldn't go to church. She couldn't go to the temple, okay? Unless she sat with the lepers. But then she would get leprosy on top of her already miserable life. And the one thing that we know about this woman is she was alone. She lived a terribly lone. Is there anything more suffocating than loneliness? She was utterly alone. And she was hopeless. And then one day she heard that there was a man who had the power to heal. She heard that there was a man that could heal. And for the first time in 12 years, she had hope. And she started to walk in the direction of her hope. And the Bible tells us that one day Jesus is moving through a crowd and he's surrounded by people who are pressing in on him because everybody wants something from Jesus. But there was something different about this woman. There was something about her touch that when she reached out and touched the, the tassel, the wing, the hem of Jesus' coat, she was able to make a withdrawal from heaven's power. She literally, through her touch of faith, pulled God's power from heaven through Christ and into her body. And she was healed. She was completely healed. And, and, and Chad talked about the, the kind of faith that, 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 that does that. And Jesus, he said, who touched me? He could feel some virtue or power had gone out. He said, who touched me? Who, who did this? And, and, and she thinks she did something bad. And so she owns up to this thing. And she said, that was me. Uh, yeah, sorry about that. Um, 
And Jesus looks at her and they have this amazing father-daughter moment. And he says, sweetheart, he calls her daughter. He said, daughter, your faith, your faith has made you well. Your faith has healed you. Because there's a lot of people touching me. There's a lot of people pressing in on me. But there's something about your touch that was different from their touch. And it had to do with your faith. And Chad called it deliberate faith. I was really caught by that. I love that phrase, deliberate faith. And so I want to talk about deliberate faith as well. I want to, I want to give you some qualities that I can see from the scriptures that other people had who had the same kind of faith, you see other qualities in their life. Um, but the first, um, this is actually literally three points, okay? Um, I, I usually do like a one-point talk, but this is three. Okay, the first point, if you're going to take notes, you are not your past. Deliberate faith demands that you let go of what you were. You let go of your past. You did what you knew to do. But now you know better, so you do better. You did what you did because that's what you knew to do, but now you know better, so now you can do better. It's an interesting thing about the past. The past, you know what, you, is a great place for reference, but a terrible place to make your residence. And yet some of us will not let go of the fact that we were, our hearts were broken. Our bodies were broken, that we failed, that we sucked, that we, that we were a terrible person, that we were taken advantage of. We, we can't let go of that. There's another amazing, amazing woman in the scriptures in the book of Joshua chapter 2. And uh, the thing about this woman, heaven loves this woman. Um, the Bible tells us she was a prostitute. And she lived in the city of Jericho. But there's something extraordinary about her because she strangely understood that God was actually actively working in human history. And somehow she got an understanding that the nation of Israel was fulfilling God's purposes on the earth. Okay? Only God could show her that. But somehow she knew this thing, right? And just like the woman who touched Jesus' garment, there was something in the heart of this woman that is so beautiful that heaven could not resist her. You see, she was no Sunday school girl. But then most of us aren't. I'm no girl. <laughs> uh, she's no Sunday school girl. She was sinful. She was smart. She was courageous. And she was open to God. And that's the quality that God responds to. Doesn't matter how sinful you've been. Doesn't really matter how smart you've been. But I think courage means something. And more than anything, being open to God. So this prostitute, in spite of her, her past, in spite of her infamy, in spite of her poor choices which she suffered for those choices. She bore the consequences of them. She decided at this one juncture in her life and where the story unfolds that I'm going to show you, that she could change the trajectory of her life by redefining who she was. And she made a choice 
to align ourselves with the intention and the mission and the purposes of God. And when she aligned herself with the, 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 the purposes of God, the Bible says she became a friend of God. She became a friend of God. And that moment changed everything. It changed her story. It changed her future. It changed the way her life played out. You see, in, in, the, in that passage in Joshua chapter 2, Joshua, who's the leader of the nation of Israel, he took over from uh, Moses, right? He sends two men into the area of Jericho near the city because they feel that God has given them that land. And so they went to spy it out. While they are in the city of Jericho, in the actual city, their cover is blown. And now, now the king is looking for them. And they meet Rahab. And this is where the, all the magic happens. They meet Rahab. And Rahab decides to hide the enemy from her own king. Why would she do that? In verse 9 of that chapter, this is Rahab speaking. She said, I know that the Lord has given you, speaking to the spies, he's given you the land, and the fear of you has fallen upon us. All the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. For we've heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt. And what you did to the kings of the Amorites that were beyond the Jordan, in Cheyenne and Og, whom you utterly destroyed. And as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted and there was no courage left in any man because of you. And then she says this, for the Lord your God is he who is God in heaven above and on earth beneath. See, this lady, this woman had only heard about the wonders of God. You know, that just it was just she heard about it. And, and, and yet she had more assurance of the promises of God regarding the nation of Israel than the elders of Israel who saw these things. That kind of faith is irresistible to God. It becomes a lightning rod for heaven, for heaven's power. In one defining moment, she decided she was not her past. She was not the sum total of all of the choices she'd made yesterday and that she could change her, the trajectory of her life by the choice she made today. And that one choice, hiding those spies, changed everything. The trajectory of her life went a place you can't even imagine. In the book of Hebrews, there is this roster of great heroes of faith that include Moses and, and, and Noah and Abraham. And Rahab's name is smack dab in the middle of them. Heaven could not resist this woman. There are four women whose names are listed in the lineage of Jesus. And Rahab, the prostitute, is one of them. She changed her stars. She changed her future. One choice. A choice that said, I will not define myself by the past. I'm choosing today. I'm going to align myself and redefine myself by my calling by what God has called me to. And let me tell you something. It, it, it takes courage to redefine yourself by what God is calling you to. Nobody else is going to redefine you. We actually would rather you suck because then we feel better about ourselves, right? 
Nobody's going to redefine you. That's something you got to do for yourself. And you do that based on what the Father says is speaking over you on the calling on your life and where you're being led to. At some point in time, you have to leave the past behind you and choose to become what you're called to be. That's how you usher heaven to earth. It's what deliberate faith looks like. There are people like Esther in the Bible who was a slave in a harem. She was basically going to be a baby machine for the king. That's it. Spend her entire life as a slave. But then she got wind in her soul of the fact that God wanted to use her more specifically to set the nation of Israel free, to liberate them, to protect them. And she became a queen. She could have hung on to her old title, her own definition. Then you have Daniel, who's nothing more than a slave. But God says, no, I see a sage. And he became a powerful influencer in the nation at the time. At one point in time, these people all made a defining decision. Have you come to that place? Are you coming to that place where you can let go of what you were in order to embrace what you're called to? Um, the second point I'm making, and this is going to sound a little bit strange, but for every new chapter in your life, you need new structure and new order. For every new chapter in your life, you need new structure and you need new order. To make room for what God is calling you requires new order, new structure. When God sends something new into your life, you have to adjust your schedule. You have to adjust your priorities. You have to adjust everything. You cannot handle new blessings with old structure. You can't handle new positions with old order. You can't handle a new chapter with new schedule, uh, a, a new, sorry, new chapter with old schedules. You've you got to learn to adjust. And, and I suggest to you that, that you don't wait until you step fully into a new chapter. You, when you're called to it, you make the adjustments in advance in preparation for a new chapter. I, um, I didn't read an entire book until I was 21 years old. My granddaughter is in grade two. She's read more books from cover to cover in, in her young life than I, I read before I was 21. And, and uh, when I was 21, I also started to... You know, uh, there, we, we talk about hearing God, and I, 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 I'd like to say that, but I'm going to tell you, it sounded more like I had this internal sense that, that what I was supposed to do with a big part of my life was be a speaker, a preacher, a communicator, okay? It was really nothing more than a, a kind of gut sense. But I knew enough that when it's not enough just to believe something, you know, the Bible says faith without works is what? That's right, nothing. And um, it's dead. The Bible says faith without works is dead. And, um, and so I, I knew that this thing, I had this hunch that I could do this. I'd, I'd never really done any speaking before. And, um, but I decided to do my research and I, I contacted what I considered the four best communicators in the city of Calgary that I knew of. And, and, and I took them out and I, and I talked to them about what is it like, what does it take and all of that. Every one of them said the same. The one thing that they had in common, they said this. To be well-spoken, you must be well-read. 
And this was a problem because I, I, I didn't read, right? But why read, really? Why read? We had cable. We had color TV. I have the gift of television. I can, I can watch TV for hours, and it's not even hard for me. Like, I can just do this. So why even bother reading, right? Reading was hard for me. I'm pretty ADD, so uh, I get distracted real easily, right? Um, the words are so little. And then, then how do you pronounce all those words? Like, I don't even know how to do that. And I went and bought a book. And you know what the book was? The Lion, Witch, and the Wardrobe. This was going to be my very first book ever. And I read The Lion, Witch, and, and it took me over a month. I read every night. And I had to reread entire pages, sometimes even entire chapters, because I... I got lost. You know what I mean? Like when you're when you're when you're reading your first book, it's hard and and I can't concentrate very well anyway. And so, but I made it through the book, and I remember when I finished, I felt like I had just won a marathon. I am a genius. I've read an entire book. Cross that off the list. I I crushed it. Six weeks, boom, like that. 100 pages, you know, 110 pages. And then I finished the series. And for the last 30 years, this is not a lie, for the last 30 years, it has been my habit to read a book a week. For 30 years, okay? Because those guys were right. To be well-spoken, you must be well-read. And I changed, I changed. I changed when I was 21, even before. I didn't start preaching until I was like probably 23. No, 22 actually. But I changed before I even got into the role of a speaker. And I say to you, are you, are you um, reorganized for what you're praying for? And you think, well, when I get what I'm praying for, that's when I'm going to reorganize. And I say, no. Reorganize now as an act of faith for what you're praying for. What has God called you to? Because you can't receive new blessings, not with old habits. You need to restructure according to where you're going, not where you've been. So many of us are overloaded and we're stressed out because we haven't reorganized our lives for the new chapter that we're in. And I'll talk about what that looks like. Last thing is that um, deliberate faith demands focus. Okay? It demands focus. You, you ever had those seasons in your life where everything is coming at you and everything is the most important thing? And everything that's coming at you is coming at you at the same volume? And like you don't even know where to start because it's all that important? I think we've all had those times. And I think it's... Those times are inevitable in season. But if that's what your life looks like, it's because you don't know, you haven't figured out what is not important. You haven't figured out what's not important. You haven't figured out what to discard from your schedule, from your life. When you have firmly established priorities, or rather when you don't have firmly established priorities, then you become open to everybody's demands and they come at you all at the same volume. I, I'm, I don't like clutter. I'm, I don't think I'm a neat freak. No, I'm pretty sure I'm not. But I do not like clutter. 
I don't like clutter in my house. I don't like clutter in my yard. I cut down a whole bunch of bushes and trees because they felt they made the yard feel cluttered. I like space. I like I like things to be in order. I I I, I don't like clutter in my. I can't drive. I, I, I could get a ticket for distracted driving if my car is cluttered or my truck's cluttered because I just, I need a clean, okay? But the place that will never stay cluttered long is my garage. My garage, I hate when my garage is cluttered. And so it is an awesome therapeutic afternoon when, when some Saturday afternoon it's raining and, and you know what? I pull the cars out and I totally declutter the garage. Oh, don't you love a good purge? Huh? Don't you just love, I'm talking about the garage, a really good purge. You know what? I love that. You know, you get rid of all the stuff that is just taking up space. You don't need it. You haven't used it. It doesn't have value to you anymore. So you either give it away or you throw it away. And then my workbench is clean. I love it. I never use it, but it's clean, and I love that. And the garage is ordered, and it's clean. That's a lot like you and me. You know what? I'll say this. This is going to sound harsh, but some of you need to clutter, declutter your life, declutter some people from your life. There are people in your life that are just taking up space. They're not giving you anything. They're not, they're not actually helping you move forward as a human being. In fact, a lot of times they, they, they just suck the life out of you. So why, why do you let them lay around in your life? Declutter some people out of your life. Some of us need to declutter things out of our life. They're not, they were once valuable to you. They were once significant to your journey and to your growth, but they're no longer that important to you, and yet you leave them around and you think about them and you worry about them and you operate around them. And I think it's time to get rid of some things in your life. You have to declutter. We, we, we get stressed because we give too much weight to things that don't matter. You, you, you don't know what doesn't belong in your journey at this time. And so you just take all this stuff with you. We give too much weight to opinions that don't matter. And some of us in this room, myself included, we are killing ourselves pleasing people. And do you know what you, what, what you do when you are a people pleaser? You become a prisoner to every single person in your life because you give them all of your power. When you can't be okay unless you're pleasing them, you can't be okay unless they're okay with you, then, then you know what? They have all the power that belongs to you. And you need to start to declutter some of those things. I'm going to invite Tina Marie and Jeffrey and the band to come on back up. You know, you know on your phone, you have a feed on your phone, right? I just, I did, oh, I did this... Um, uh, in the morning service, and then I realized my wife was texting me, and so that was distracting. Um, but we have this feed, and you have a feed, an internal feed in your brain. And have you ever noticed that all the fonts in your brain, all of the, that internal feed, it's all the same size? And so if you don't know what to give more weight to, the most weight to, then you accept all of it as important, and it's not all 
the same way. It doesn't all have the same priority. And one of the great, most powerful decluttering words that you can ever learn to, to speak is the word no, 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 no. How many times do you say yes, just oh, I should have said no. And when you say yes, it costs you something. You want to go out for lunch? And the person asking you is the one that always waits for you to pay. And, 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 and yeah, not just say no. No. I'll tell you this. If you learn to say no with a good heart, you won't say no with a bad heart. If you don't learn how to say no with a good heart, then you will be saying no with an angry, frustrated heart. But no is one of the most powerful things that you can say to start getting rid of stuff out of your life, to start getting people out of your life. Um, when you know what has priority and weight in your life, you know what to say yes to and you know what to say no to. So Ryan does one. Um, uh, he, he is like the most important pastor on staff here at the house. And Ryan, when he joined us, he's single. He, uh, and if I, I could phone him any day, when he's, when he first got here, I could phone him any day of the week and he'd answer the phone. And I like that. And then, and then, and then, and then he, he goes and gets married. He gets married. And then they start breeding and, and they have, <laughs> and so he's a father. He's a husband and he's a father. He's got a beautiful little boy and he's got a beautiful wife. And all of a sudden, this new chapter requires restructuring, rescheduling, new weighty things, new priorities. Things have shifted and changed so much so that now he actually knows what to give way to and what not to. He knows what to give way to and what to say no to. I phoned him probably the last three weeks on his day off and he never answers the phone. And I'm really proud of him for that. I, I told him that. I said, don't answer the stupid phone. It can wait. And you know what? Do you know to whom you should be saying no? Or are you a slave to everyone? We are constantly figuring out and it's, a, it's, a, it's an ongoing journey to figure out who gets priority in your life. And in the different seasons, that priority shifts. Once you're figuring out what gets priority in life, then I want to challenge you, and this is hard, to kindly start to declutter your life. And maybe it's just something that you make a mental note of, but you know, that person... I really, that isn't working anymore, so why do I, I'm just going to create a boundary. I'm going to take that thing that I said yes to five years ago, and they're still expecting me to show up, and I'm going to say no. You know, that's a new chapter for me. I'm not going to sign up for that. And sometimes you have to say no to pretty good things so that you can say yes to really good things. Sometimes you have to say no to a good opportunity so you can say yes to a great opportunity. Three things. You're not your past. 
A new season requires some new scheduling, new structuring, and deliberate faith demands focus. Let's stand together. I, I pray that one of those things touched a chord, encouraged you, inspired you. You know what? We're all on a journey. Somebody said to me the other day, you know, you preachers drive me crazy because you keep moving the goalposts. As soon as I actually grow up and develop some faith in my life, you, you're telling me I need more. And then I get my life right with Christ and then you tell me I should get a deeper life with Christ. And that's, I don't want to do that. You know what? We're all on this great journey. And, and if any of this stuff can be plugged into your life to encourage you, to help you do life better, healthier, more efficiently than awesome. Father, we love you. Um, thank you that your word is so full of truth. Thank you for the Rahabs who are sinners that have hearts that are open to God. Thank you for women like that. The, the woman who dared to put her hope in you fully. Thank you, Jesus, that we have access to heaven's power. That gives us hope and that gives us courage. Thank you for your presence in this place. I want to pray for people that have come into this room and they are feeling very lonely and very hopeless. And I pray today, Jesus, that they would experience your presence way, in a very tangible way, and that you would stir hope in their hearts where there is no hope. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to Audio from the House. For more information or resources, visit us at thehouseonline.ca.